Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sissoko finally waited. Ericsson low. Great ball into the middle. What a save by Heaton. Tonight's Davison Sanchez. Lucas Moura. And belted into the net. Brilliant goal. On debut, Tungay Ondombele has scored the equaliser for Spurs. Lucas Moura clips it. Oh, great goal! Stephen Bergwijn has arrived in North London! That is absolutely incredible on debut! Oh yay! What a finish for 3-2 from Serge Aurier! First time here to Son. Kane, good area for Spurs. And Kane's not afraid to shoot. Wow, what a goal, Harry Kane. That is exceptional. Try and place it. Wonderfully taken by Eric Lamella. Never afraid to take on a shot, and with good reason. Terry in the Burnley back line, and Son breaks forward. Oh, wow, what a run. Yemin Son from inside his own half has scored one of the best goals of his Spurs career. Hello there. Welcome to another new Spurs Order podcast slash show. Um, I'll be a host again, X-Pack, and I'll be joined uh, by two lovely co-hosts. Scott Hall, firstly, how are you doing? Hey, uh, last season, I entered the season as the good guy. Uh, but by game week 10, I was right back to my old self, <laughs> just furious and angry. Uh, this time around, we're hoping for a smoother season. So far, so good. So far, so good. Yeah, I might even be tempted, as you've been in such a good mood lately, and you're such a good guy lately, that obviously when I put the intro one, you can't see the skank you do in the background when the intro music plays. But I need to just <laughs> take that backdrop off. Just to see that, and that just appears live on the screen before any kind of intro, and that would just kick off the vibes in a better way. Maybe I don't know, it's trial and error, and we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, good times. Era, it's a big intro, man. <laughs> it's good, it's good to be back. Um, back from my, my long hiatus, you know. Um, seems like things have changed not only on the podcast, um, with new members. But also things have changed in the club, man. So glad to see it. Long may it continue. Is this the first time you've been on this season? Uh I think it, it no. just might be. I think it just might be. What we you haven't I was on in pre-season, but I haven't been on since the oh the yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre-season, yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. What good vibes all around. And um 
yeah, like there's a lot of talk even going into this game, and there's been more of this kind of talk after it that you know we've got journalists kind of blowing the Spurs trumpet a bit too much. There's no pause there. Apparently, we've been overgassing ourselves even a little bit. I don't feel like that's the case, but I mean, going into the Liverpool game, there was a nice introduction of um, of someone. I don't know if he was a famous musician or something, but there was a nice um, bit of the trumpet being played over the speakers, and I think that set the tone for a really lively atmosphere um, going into the game. And it was a lively kind of first, uh, even of just the first half in general against Liverpool. Uh, yeah. Firstly, what did you think of obviously the starting line going into the game, given that you know we had Valise and Donnelly in the squad, we have Richarlison starting on the left, which has been very vaguely theorized in our group chat. Um as a avid supporter of Richie Ladd, how did you feel about that going into it? I think um you know what? for for probably after the um, Bournemouth game. He's obviously come out, said he's been going through a tough time. The goal against Sheffield was uh, well-timed and uh, good for his morale. And I, I think since that game, he's done pretty pretty decent. You know, I wouldn't say pulling up any trees, but he's done pretty decent. I I had us um, having Son on the left and Richie um, up top. I didn't think Andrew was going to push Richie to the left. I didn't. I didn't think he was going to go with it, especially coming off the um, Perisic injury. And you know, my, my whole thing was, uh, you know, he might, he might more uh, push Son to the left instead of risking him up top because of the all the talks of like he might have a knock or stuff like that. Uh, but he was brave, you know, and he pushed um, Richie to the left. And outside of that, I don't think anything, you know, shocked me in terms of who was selected. I think the team right now, as it stands, picks itself. Um, there's room to chop and change up top, which is pretty good for us. But outside of that, uh, the back line is the back line. The goalkeeper is the goalkeeper in the midfield until certain personnel are back from injury is the midfield. Cool, cool. And uh, Ira, how did you kind of feel about that lineup and just, just how that kind of lively first half started to play out on the balance of um, things? On the on the whole lineup thing, I mostly agreed with Yao. Um, to be fair, I was worried that we were going to go over Charleston in the middle, um, just because I didn't want to. I didn't want it to be a case of uh the cross to Richarlison worked last time, so now let's pump a million crosses into the box. Um, Ange hasn't shown me anything like that, so I didn't think it was a hundred percent going to go like that. And then it um, the injury happened, sort of to um, what's his name again? Sorry, Parisic. The not to Perisic, the other Johnson, um, Johnson yeah, the, yeah, to Brennan. Uh, and then I thought, yeah, okay, that's going to change things at the uh, almost like kind of last minute. I thought Brennan Johnson was was quite good actually in his little cameo against um, Arsenal the other day. So yeah, I mean, it was interesting to see Richarlison play on the left. I thought he done well. I thought. Uh, we grew into the game. Obviously, I thought I thought we, we played well too, even though it was the whole ten men, nine men thing. But I'm sure we'll get into it into a minute. Um, yeah, like from kickoff, I was a little bit worried about the whole Poro. I thought I thought before kickoff, 
before we saw the lineups, um, before we knew anything, I thought it would be a whole game about um, Trent versus Poro, I guess, like who's going to make a mistake first. And then Trent didn't even play. It was, yeah, so that didn't happen. I was a little bit tentative about Poro, but I think he played really well in the end. Um, I wouldn't say he had his greatest game. Like if there wasn't an assist, it would have been hard to kind of pick out key moments, but I do think he had a good game overall. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, just kind of breaking down um, first half now. Like, I thought it was a lovely start. I thought with Charleston, he was like, well, I thought the thinking was to maybe put with Charleston in the middle and then have him occupy that space so Son can just run into the channels and expose, um, obviously, Liverpool, who tend to like overcommitting their wing backs. Um, I thought that was the idea. Obviously, I think that he may have. Uh, Klopp may have thought about that ahead of time and started Joe Gomez ahead of Trent for that reason. Um, good technical ploy, but I think like one of Richarlison's first actions, like he managed to kind of get a yard on his man and put a really good ball across the box. Which I mean, if we had someone on the opposite side, that would have been a pretty easy tap in. Um, thought his ball retention was good. I thought his pressing was good. Um, I thought the first twenty minutes we looked good, and then. Um, yeah, Liverpool just started to expose us with um, with the switches of play, to be honest. like I think it was almost cash money for them. Um, I think that might be, Loki, a bit of, um, a, bit of uh, a weakness for us. Obviously, us playing inverted wing-backs when we're on the ball. If they're kind of caught inside a bit too often, they may just switch play quick enough then... I can see how that works uh, so well. Um, I don't want to touch upon the offside and the refereeing decisions too much because, you know, we've we've had our fair share of bad luck over the years and it's just draining. And I feel like everyone and their dog and their cat has obviously gone mm-hmm. on about it and piled on about it and it's just not really worth it. We know, obviously, Liverpool wrongly had the offside goal talked off. Like, I mean, it used to happen all the time before VAR. It is what it is. It was a horrendous mix-up on the comms on VAR. But, you know. I've, I've got a question is. for you guys. Do you Go do on. you think that's the first time um, that there's been a communication kind of mess up like that? Even though it's the first time we've had audio released, do you think it's the first time that specifically has happened? No. Absolutely not. I don't either. I don't know. Absolutely not. This country, the level of officiating in this country stinks. From from grassroots all the way to the Premier League. It's it's absolutely shocking. You go Sunday League or Saturday League, you'll find a referee just as bad as that. So I'm not surprised whatsoever. Yeah, I think there's like a, obviously there's been a culture and it has been for a long time of obviously referees will band together and look out for each other, obviously, because players do obviously give them their fair share of abuse. I wouldn't say fair share, actually, just for lack of a better term, that they, yeah. they get abused and it as he causes ways. referees to stick together. Yeah, it has done. There's been stories of it going both ways. Yeah. But um, referees obviously tend to stick together and then when it comes to having each other's back, they'll kind of cover it for each other. Obviously, Mike Dean alluded to it on that podcast with Sam and Jordan. Like, if they feel like they're setting themselves up to make a big mistake, they'd rather not throw them in the deep end Mm-hmm. and rather look out for their friend and then I think there could be miscommunications there as well just for the sake of trying to look out for their friend and um, I think there just needs to be better 
objectivity when it comes to people who operate VAR. I don't think there should be an actual on-field referee on VAR. I don't think it comes across that they just don't understand the technology anyway. Yeah, it sounds well. like the technician. The technician, sorry to cut you off there, but the technician had a better grasp on things that were going on in that environment. Yeah. 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 He was just like, well, why? Yeah, he was almost saying like, well, why don't you stop the game? Like, yeah, yeah. He was, he was blatant with it. He was like, are you man sure? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Good over there. Hey, you man, are you sure? This this is this is where you want to continue with. Hey, and the sure was me. I was even starting to panic. I forgot that the game had already finished yet. So when I heard the audio, I was like, oh, they're gonna call this back. Yeah, yeah. We've already played the ninety minutes and we've won the game. Like. It's like, you're this guy, he really and wanted... This is what I mean, the VAR the right ref answer. didn't want to stitch his on-field mate up. And he was just like, yeah, there's exactly. nothing I could do, there's nothing I could do. Where really and truly, like, if you didn't freeze, you could have obviously just had a better kind of removed yeah. point of view. Like, if you had someone who was just a VAR operator, wasn't one of the, the chums of these referees, you can be like, okay, nothing's happened in the game. It's gone back out for a throw-in. Let me just call him back in and be like, okay, our bad. Obviously, we... We've just seen, yeah, you've missed yeah, yeah. There's been a mess up and a bit of miscommunication, but it is actually a goal. We need to award a goal. We've Mm. drawn the lines, it's definitely onside, blah blah blah. Um, but yeah, that it's it's a one one last question on the subject. It's not so much about the actual decision now, but what do you think about? Um, I heard that the referee's punishment is that he can't officiate another Liverpool game, and I just thought that was a bit strange, like. It so, is this the on-field referee or the VAR? Yeah. The VAR, no, VAR referee. So, the VAR referee. So for me, that that's disgusting. Yeah. And mm. the reason I say that is because what precedent does that set for the rest of the league? Mm. Like Arsenal mm. fans have a referee they do not like. Spurs mm. have, Spurs fans have a referee we do not like whatsoever. So when we find out, oh, said referee was at, in VAR and something goes against us, we're going to be like, no, nah, we don't mm. want that ref. Yeah, like anywhere near our games ever again. And what you'll find teams will have like certain refs that can't officiate them, and that's garbage. Like, I, like the referee should definitely be punished, but mm-hmm. for a referee to go an entire season not um, refereeing or even being in the VAR um, hotspot for say just a Liverpool game, that's well, rubbish. See, Liverpool yeah. don't deserve that kind of like luxury to be having referees pick and choose so that they're not upset. I'm not having that. Yeah, I feel like there needs to be probably a bit of a climate change with regards to just being able to create a good sense of objectivity there. There's no bias. Again, obviously, better training. Um, I I don't agree with uh, referees using VAR. I don't agree with referees having been made to go to a screen. I think the video referees should make that decision for them. And furthermore, I think that semi-automatic offside system which the Premier League decided not to use for whatever reason probably cost effectiveness um, would have created that objectivity within itself because it's not even a human having to communicate back and forth like it's a very good system which I don't think has had like a major error other than I, I guess our game against Sporting last year but that was I guess some kind of mis, um, misunderstanding the, um... of the rules of offside it was still a bit weird but I don't think that system in itself has made a bad error yet. Yeah, yeah I don't know if this was an error, so but there was the whole Martinez thing where it was just like more of a, I guess, a debate. It wasn't really an error, but about the whole shoulder, like it was like a fraction of his shoulder, I think. 
that played him yeah. onside or offside. I can't remember exactly which one it was, that. but it's just like how how close does it actually be? And it's yeah, that's that's the, the question that comes into it when you I guess rely solely on the technology. I think Siri I have that um semi-automatic system. I don't know why I said, no, I said I it's so, so fresh like that, do. but <laughs> I think they have the, the semi-automatic system, and I think they might have a referee in there too. I don't know if he's super like supervising. I don't really know exactly how it okay. works, but I think they, they do have I, some sort of system. I like have that. to check a Serie A game this uh weekend to see if that pops mm. up. That'd be good to know. Yeah, it's just like just having people who are obviously knowledgeable in football don't have the bias with the other referees and are just good with the tech yeah. and that also can understand the other technicians properly because there's been quite a few times where like offside decisions have been wrongly called um purely because they haven't got the player who's actually keeping them offside or onside in the frame of the camera which mm-hmm. again like the semi-automatic system would probably pick up as well so there's a lot there's uh yeah that's a whole nother discussion and probably a whole nother podcast as well to be fair um might make that, it a patreon maybe maybe sign up not <laughs> <laughs> really price to be fair um but just like obviously a slight fast forward on the game now so curtis jones has been sent off um, I don't think there's any malice in it, but it was definitely a red card challenge. Whether he's still suspended for three games, who knows? Um, but you just can't get the ball off Basuma without having to take a bit of a man with you. And if you're going high, that's that's what happens, really. Um, and then it comes to like, obviously, Liverpool have got 10 men now, and I feel like we were really still like in the ascendancy. I feel like we. I don't think we managed the game that well, but we were still kind of pressing forward. And then there was a moment while we were like creating openings, creating chances where it was just before first half injury time and Saar picked up the ball, edge of the area. And he knows like he, he loves a shot mm-hmm. for whatever reason. He hasn't shown any good quality long shots for in the Spurs shirt yet, but when he didn't really need to, I felt like we just needed to keep the ball moving and create a better opening before um, going for an opportunity. And he just shot like it was, it was a really bad shot. It's just to cut it short. And then Liverpool managed to obviously keep the ball again. And they got the free kick and the throw in. And then lo and behold, they scored shortly afterwards. And yeah. Like how did you guys feel like we kind of managed that end of the first half though, when obviously we, saw Liverpool go down to 10 men. Let's talk about bird dogs. Bird dogs make you look good. They're stretched khaki shorts designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. They fit better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Bird dogs fix this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but stretches so you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Bird dogs uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. So how do you get them? You go to birddogs.com forward slash pool and enter promo code pool for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com forward slash pool for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Uh, I think, um, I think we've done well. I think, did we, is that when we hit the post just before our time? Yeah, yeah. Richard, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it was ruled offside Charles in the end. But it was, yeah, it was offside. But it was it was like a good a good bit of play, if you get what I'm trying yeah. to say. I think I think yeah. we were positive. I think Liverpool was still coming at us at that point as well. 
And it's interesting, like, just how many chances we create whilst we're still recycling possession and trying to look for, like, a quality chance. Like, I think that's kind of similar to what, what Saar might have been thinking there, like, maybe in, in in certain situations when he hasn't taken those long shots. Like, he's probably just thinking it, the chance will come, the chance will come. And I think, um, yeah, man, like, it's, it, it feels like a new Spurs because I just feel like you, you'd expect a lot of the time, I don't know, man, just like a, a random... Like maybe Dyer would, would come across and just sh- sh- um, smack it into Rose Z, like for his brother to take home the ball as a souvenir or something, and then and that kind of stuff just doesn't happen anymore. So it it, it just feels so good. I think um go like part of the whole Liverpool match was making sure that we stood up to their quality. Like we we the, any mistakes would have been pounced upon. Um, we did make a few mistakes. I have to give credit to Van der Ven. I thought he was really good as well at um, some of the recovering challenges. You doji too. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. Um, I think we closed out the first half well. I think we closed out the first half well. Yeah, I think well, from, from my point of view, yeah, I'd agree that on a whole, I thought the first half was pretty balanced, um, especially when I rewatched it. In first, like watching it the first time around, I was like, maybe Liverpool had uh, a better first half than us. But having watching it like a second and third time, I was like, no, nah, I think it was pretty well balanced. And I think going in at 1-1, score-wise, was probably mm-hmm. fair. But I'll be honest with you, as much as, you know, Liverpool fans felt un- like, you know, like they had been hard done by the, the goal that was ruled out. I also think we were, you know, hard done by, you know, the challenge that, basically led to the free kick which then led to their attack which yeah. would end up to their goal because like, I I didn't I still to this point don't think Destiny fouled um, Gakpo it's kind of like a freak kind of tackle where he's he's yeah. won the ball the ball's gone yeah. and as he's still sliding Gakpo's foot has gone into the path it. of his slide and ended up being fouled but that that to me is not a foul some people have said no it is a foul and I'm like I think they're just reading their feelings into it too much because like I said, for me, it's not a foul. No way. There's no way um, as the defender in that situation, anybody uh, making that kind of tackle would be like, yeah, I fouled the player. Nobody would agree to that. So I think we were a bit unlucky to not go in to the second half 1-0 uh, up. But for the most part, I was pretty happy with how we played. I was actually annoyed. I can't lie. Like Watching the game back, obviously I had to see it. Um, I didn't watch it until like two days ago. So I didn't really like get caught up in the motion of watching it live. But I, I don't know, like you we saw what Liverpool did at St James's Park for one. Obviously they went down to ten men really early on and managed to just counterattack a score like that always gonna be that threat. I just didn't see the need to attack as fast as we did like in the last like five to ten minutes of the half and then yeah. that kind of like Saar had such a good half as well. Yeah. That as a functioning midfielder who's so press resistant, so aware, was covering ground so well, like he has done all season. And then it was just that that shot, which was kind of half-hearted as well, I felt like. I didn't really believe he had the conviction that he was even going to trouble Alisson, let alone score. I don't think he needed to do it. I thought we could have just controlled it a bit better and prevented any kind of counter-attack from Liverpool and then... Like I, I felt like on that balance of it, especially after Curtis Jones got sent off, we we should have gone in there one nil up and uh, yeah. yeah, we nearly went in two one down though as well because yeah. <laughs> there was that little 
that little moment that, just that before. Flurry. Yeah. Like it wasn't, I don't think Liverpool were like dominating in that moment, but they did have that little chance. So I think, I don't know if heads kind of just dropped for a second, like split second. Yeah, it felt like we were sleeping defensively as well. But... Yeah. Salah's so switched on, like you really can't take, even against 11 men, you can't take those kind of like yeah, chances. Yeah, because that, that, that ball across the, the box was violent, right? And mm. if, if Diaz had got real conviction on that, Vicario would have had to, he would have had yeah. to throw the whole of Rome. At that ball, just to make sure it didn't go in, because that was a pass. <laughs> like, and because I was like thirty seconds behind, it was it was tense. I felt it. I felt the, the, the tension twice. But yeah, um, again, agree. We were lucky in that sense as well. And then going into the second half, um, a slight further fast forward because it felt like the second half just kind of dwindled into. A little bit of nothing. It was like, I didn't really feel like much happened other than us kind of just being careful. And I, I know we kind of had a half chance from Sun, um, who acrobatically tested Allison. I can't remember if that was before or after the the Jota sending off now. But that was, got... that was way before. Before, before. So, so in, the, in the second half, we had early chances. Madison left footer. Um, that it just proves how good of a goalkeeper Allison is. Because that that shot probably beats a lot of keepers in this league. I thought that was a good height for for any goalkeeper. Yeah, but it just it just doesn't beat him. Like Allison is just you know like he's just a quality goalkeeper. And then the reaction save for um, Son shot, you know, it it just shows what kind of quality he is. But I felt from the second half, I felt like we a lot of people have been like, oh, you played crap against ten men, you played rubbish against nine men, and I'm like, yeah, all right, cool. Well, that's because you expect the team with the numerical advantage to just dominate the rest of the game. There's no, there's no like awareness from other people that, oh, this team might actually be very well trained in in dealing with these sort of scenarios. Like they didn't fall down to nine men until like probably the last 10, 12, 15 minutes of the game. So they had 10 minutes onwards. Yeah. You see, so like even, even 18, call it 18, 20 minutes that they had nine men on the pitch. They've already played two games this season with 10 men on the pitch and they've been solid. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was second nature to them. Yeah. What I liked about us, even though the second half wasn't great in terms of like maybe entertainment value, what I liked about us is that we were like, all right, cool. We know you guys are going to be tough to break. Yeah. But we're not going to change our shape. We're going to continuously like bat at the door and hopefully something will come of it. We didn't attack mm-hmm. the right way. That's where we went wrong. In the final third, we didn't do the right things to pull the strings in order to create the spaces to um, have multiple chances. But we kept attacking. And that's why, if you notice in the second half, a lot of Liverpool's balls, pause, when they went high and over, they had Salah on the literally on the counter-attack. And we were happy to like, have just Mickey and Romero just there to yeah. deal with it. Like our fullbacks were high and in their half for like the majority of the second half. And that's why there was like a 10-minute spell, I think maybe towards the end of the game, where Liverpool were trying to get out and we just kept pressing them back in. Like we would not let them get to the halfway line. Like I remember um, Robinson trying to clear the ball down the left-hand side. Poro stepped in and we went again. And then the same with Destiny, which led to Jota actually getting sent off. He cut him off in their half and we were off again. And that's the kind of attitude we need to keep like keep going for for the rest of the season because we're gonna face just as tough of a test 
against the 11 men in other matches. So it's important that we, we keep that bravery up. Yeah, I think as well, um, that one thing that people underestimate about playing against nine men, I just think Liverpool's objective changes as well. Like even um, with 10 men, I don't, I don't think Liverpool's objective changed as much as like with another team. If it's another team, like maybe a slightly weaker side, cool, they might go all out defence. But I think Liverpool still felt that they could win the game at that point. They still felt that they, they would take chances. I think with nine men, they kind of tried to shut up shop. They were trying to get out of the box, I think, just for relief more than anything else. Um, I do have a question about when, when we're playing in that situation, we're trying to break down this, this block. Um, whose responsibility is it on the right to go on the outside? It has to be you guys' opinions. I, I was I... Plural, but I understand that he's playing an in, inverted kind of nah. too. He's sitting on the edge of the box kind of thing. The, the reason why I say it has to be Poro, yeah, is because until until it's coached out of this particular individual, he's naturally just going to cut in and he's left-footed. So Kudu, mm. because Kudu's just naturally left-footed, he's just going to cut into his stronger side. What we want him to do is drive to the byline. Because then if he drives to the byline, then the option to go back to Poro, even like if, so if he drives to the byline, he can go back to Poro on a wider position and Poro can then cross in that way. But until that happens, it has to be Poro that does that that overlap run because there's, we've got bodies inside already. So he has to go out wide in order to drag a player away from Kulu. And then Kulu has the option for the cross or the shot. But if he doesn't drag him out wide, if he, if he drags, if he stays central, or stays more inverted in, then you're basically telling Kudu, go on, bruv. You, you do your thing. <laughs> it's funny because like we've conceded goals like that this season. I guess we've scored a goal like that now as well with, with Poro overlapping on. And I just think in this kind of formation, it's so strong to have that overlap. That um, yeah. Just in the final third anyway, I, I don't mind the underlap. Uh, throughout the rest of the game but in that situation I guess you do see the power of the overlap um, yeah man it's, it's interesting like I don't think I don't think Kulu's played bad um, I was saying in the group chat earlier like the way how he's playing if you compare this season compared to last season it does give me that whole Grealish feel where I guess like it feels like he's been toned down a bit um, but I don't think that means that he's playing bad I can understand wanting more like Wanting him to take people on, wanting him to to shoot as well, but yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's played bad at, at all. I do want to come back to Kulisevsky because I mean he's a player who I love and I get fascinated by as well. But to answer Iris earlier question on whose responsibility is it for me, um, probably Ange. Like we've been see drilling in his yeah. structure yeah. and his build up all pre-season, all season long. And I think it's obviously been a learning curve for some players, obviously some players more than others. But I think when obviously you've been drilling that for so long, like you're still going to be reverting to type, especially when you're trying to break down the team who are sitting back. And I just didn't feel like, I mean, I, I just don't feel like there could have been that instruction until like really, really late on from Ange to be like, okay, that space you need to attack because they're just leaving that wide open and they're not being stretched whatsoever. Um, and I managed to like that. The only part of it I managed to watch live was the last 10 minutes while I was just at work. I managed to just try and get a sneaky bit of time in and 
it felt like we were constantly trying to use Kulizewski and there was I genuinely thought at the time and I was going to put it in the group chat but because I was watching it on my phone like it was just really hard to do but genuinely I was just thinking like we just need to use the overlap we need to use the overlap and then the only time it felt like we used it properly we managed to reap some dividends off it so I guess my question to kind of lead off that like obviously post sending off of Jota how did you kind of grade Ange's kind of game management from that point until the end of the game? Because uh, I felt like he was quite slow to react with little tweaks. I think he was slow to react with his subs. I thought the subs who came on, I kind of understood it, but I didn't agree with it. I felt like Koibieg, I know Yao's probably going to win now, but... I feel like Hoybier should have come on first for Skip. To be fair, I think Hoybier should have come on as soon as Jota got sent off. Um, and then I, I get the whole Ben Davis single because put him on for Sado. I mean, would you put any? Because would you have put him on for Sar? Sorry, instead of Skip. Yeah, because I think Sar's. I think Sar's kind of given his a lot. performance was already like it's done. Like he had a good performance, but for what he was required to do, he didn't really need to do much anymore. True. Like I yeah. felt like we needed someone who was someone who he's not required to be functional against nine men, right? Like Sars a much better functional midfielder than Hoyberg, that's clear. Um when it comes to a final phase of like with the attacking responsibility being on the eights, I think Hoyberg has a much better final ball. I think he's a much better goal threat from like that kind of area. He's done it at Anfield, I think it was Anfield. He scored mm-hmm. against Liverpool from like range before. Like I think he's a genuinely good goal threat. Um, he does take good risks when he's obviously in the opposition half. Again, I reiterate in our own half when it comes to building up and being functional, he's next to useless. But <laughs> he's doing more qualities. He's a very good kind of. Um, he's a very good ball winner and a good counter presser. Um, when it comes to operating in the opposition half as well, and especially against nine men, like there's really, like little to no risk at that point. So I feel like he could have easily brought in Hoiberg in like the 70th minute or so, like literally right after Jota got sent off. Obviously, mm-hmm. Davis and Skip didn't come on until the 83rd minute, and then he um, he then brought on Hoiberg and released like around the 90th minute. So. Yeah, it was just, I guess, my question to you guys. How do you kind of rate Ange? Because for me, I think we we got lucky. We just got extremely lucky. I think um, it's weird. I think my mindset at the time when he was making the subs is I was worried. I, I No, not, I wouldn't say I was worried, but I thought our, our chance of winning the game, I thought, was going down. And I thought Liverpool's chance of winning the game was going up. That's that's just my honest opinion. I felt mm-hmm. like um, there was going to be much less of a chance of us to be dangerous in those in those last few minutes. Um, it's interesting though because I think Ange is maybe playing a new game, and yeah, I think he's playing it safe. But I also think he's banking on these long longer periods of extra time too. So he's trying to make his subs. I think after. Like as as reaction subs almost, um, he's trying to make his subs after the opposition, and I think it's, it's I don't know. Like, do we say did? Can you say his subs worked out? I yeah, think you can, right? You actually yeah, can. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. So, um, 
Yeah, man, I'd have to give him a pretty high rating. I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of what number. To, if I was going to try to give him a number out of five, I'm struggling, to be honest. But um, let's say like a 3.5 to a 4. I thought, I thought he'd done, he done well. I was worried, but he pulled it out of the bag. He had yeah. control of the situation too. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, I do agree. And I think at the time, I, I think what was poor, a lot of people were like, oh, he should have like reacted quicker. Yeah, but mm. I... On you know, review again. I was like, well, we we don't know much about Feliz in terms of uh, an attacking option. Uh, we still got players um, on the attacking side of things uh, coming back from injury. Uh, some that haven't fully recovered yet. So we don't have, say, uh, Benton Core coming off the bench. Johnson was carrying a, a hamstring injury, so he definitely wasn't going to feature. Um, Hill, I think he's just come back from um, injury. So again he would have been less likely of a feature. So really and truly, most of his changes, if any, would have been midfield slash um, defensive. And I don't think, I think he was, even though I was scared, because of the 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 like position we had at that time in the game, I think he was right to kind of leave Destiny on for as long as possible. Um uh Poro as well on for as long as possible basically the whole back line for as long as possible mm-hmm. I know it doesn't sound great bringing say Hoiberg or Skip off the bench but Madison went into this game with a knock and I remember when Madison got substituted people were like oh why are you taking Madison off listen you, we have to manage these guys like it's not some of these choices are not by choice they're actually forced upon us yeah we saw him that reminds me as well half. by the way the first sub was that I almost forgot sorry Solomon coming on first son and that cameo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but oh, like no, no, even sorry, even even Solomon coming on for son, yeah. Like again, son was carrying an injury, as we've now found yeah. out. He's yeah. had a groin injury for a whole month. Like wasn't mad at that. But... Yeah, so people people have to as much as people are like, no, you gotta keep them on. You like we won the game without yeah. son or Madison. Madison. Yeah. And or I, I don't even think I don't even think Basuma was on the pitch. No, I might be wrong. Yeah, I think. Yeah, so so we won the game without three of our main threats on mm. the pitch. Yeah, so that should actually like give fans more belief that there's something building in this team, yeah. as opposed to oh, we got to run these players down into the ground because we played 96 minutes of football. Yeah, like people need to take into consideration. And what you just said there was actually I never thought of it till you said it. Yeah, if Angie's actually banking on say the extra minutes that are being given mm-hmm. um in these games, then that's fantastic. Because mm-hmm. that means he's like he's really game watching, like he's watching the time, like right, okay, that took about four minutes there, that took about eight minutes there. Cool, the ref might add on another seven minutes. So but he's that's now the thing not... as well. You just said as well, they might they yeah. might, yes, yeah, that's very yeah, true. Yeah, even true. but even though it's yeah, a yeah. might, yeah, you gotta look at it like this. Now, now you're you back in the day before all of this, like we're going to extend time for all the time wasted. You could have a team like Sheffield Wednesday or Sheffield United, sorry, waste like 10 minutes of football, and the um fourth official will put up a board for two minutes. Yeah. And you'd be like, What? Like, we've literally just seen 10 minutes of football being wasted, and you're only giving us two to three minutes, yeah. And then if you were lucky, if you were lucky, you would get five minutes at a time. If you were lucky. Yeah. So 
you knew at the most maximum you were going to get five minutes. Now you watch games and you're like, bruv, listen, we could have another eight minutes. Yeah, that's could be anything to, at this point. To, to, to an actual match, that's like another mm. 15 minutes. In terms mm. of game time, that's like another 15 minutes when you're hearing raw. It's gone past six, seven minutes. That's a lot of time. Yeah, so, mm. you know, if Ange's like looking at the game, he's like, all right, yeah, it's been a bit, you know, to and fro, but, you know, there's likely to be like six minutes added on. Him making his subs, you know, a bit later is not so detrimental. Like, he, if he makes a sub, like, say, Basuma went off 81st minute for argument's sake, yeah? The player coming on is going to have, like, 15 minutes on the field, as opposed to, back in the day, maybe having 12 or 10, yeah? And those those small increments are massive in the game. Yeah. So, and it, funnily enough, as much as I hate his guts, yeah, Hoibjerg was one of the few people that started that attack that actually led up to the goal. The goal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's like... All these changes, in hindsight, he like Andrew's actually not had a bad game. He's actually managed it pretty well, to be fair. Yeah, yes, we've rolled our luck. Yeah, which you're supposed to do in these big games. You're supposed to like have luck on your side, but he's actually managed it pretty well. He got Son enough minutes, Richarlison enough minutes, Madison enough minutes, Basuma enough minutes. Skip comes on, gets minutes. Hoybeer comes on, gets minutes. Like people are getting minutes into their legs. And I imagine with, like, games in which we should be the more superior team, like, mm-hmm. then you can start chopping and changing and bringing in other players and saying, all right, I'm going to give you 60 minutes or I'm going to give you 70 minutes because we know Johnson ain't playing tomorrow. You get what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So, like, we've got two big injuries in our team right now, Perisic and Solomon, which is kind of annoying because Perisic, listen, he was, he was doing veteran hours, yeah? <laughs> and... And now, sadly, we're not going to get him to like some point next next year. But one thing I'll say though, one thing like this is a new kind of depth that I'm not used to at Spurs. Two players injured in one position, and we still have options. Like I, that, yeah, that good. just seems like a whole new world for that's Spurs. That's good. And and yeah. and the thing is, yeah, I think what saves us in for once, yeah, it sounds weird. We I don't remember which season it was. I feel like it was two, three seasons ago. But all we had on the left hand side was Son. Mm. That was it. Son and and supporting cast of nobody. And a dream. <laughs> and a dream. <laughs> a yeah, now, <laughs> now Son, now because Son has moved out to, you know, moved up top, you got like, okay, Richardson can play it. Hill can play it. Worst case scenario, you push um, Kulu to the left. But there's actual mm. options to go to the left. Like, you don't have to feel like, no, it's Son and nobody else. And that actually for us is where the saving graces. I'm just, I'm so glad that we're so close, especially after what this week, I think it's going to be like a two-week international break. break. I'm, yeah. I'm happy that that comes at this time of the season and then pause. And then um, we have like freaking Benton Core coming back because we need it. Mm-hmm. That would be ideal. If we can get through this, if we can get through that period there, the international period with no injuries, I think we're we're gonna have a, a nice run of games, man. Yeah. It's what we It'll need. Be interesting to see how we come out of that year. So we got now I so I was gonna um a few days ago I kinda had it in mind to touch upon the Cole Solomon um cameo, but now he's like there's no kind of worry about him now really about how he'll perform in the team because unfortunately he is injured until next year. It's like mm-hmm. three to four months. Ange confirmed earlier. 
but we still have a Kulizevsky conundrum. Um, let's see, we touched upon it earlier. It's it, it it looks weird for him. Like, I don't think he's been performing badly really in the game. Like, he starts off some games quite badly, brings it back second half, looks a lot sharper, still gets into good positions, and doesn't look like he has that much conviction in his actions sometimes, and then sometimes he does, and then it's been theorized in our see in our group chat that he doesn't necessarily have a great partnership with Poro yet. But uh Ira, you've been quite vocal on it in the group chat as well. Like kind of what are your current thoughts on it? Um it's come it's it's starting to come together. But like I said, I think we could see it with the goal. Like it there's there's almost this issue of not knowing maybe they're, they're sticking to um what Anne said too too rigidly there's there's this issue of not knowing exactly what to do and i don't think a lot of the time we're getting the most from um like poro underlapping and sort of kulisevsky going wide and then just always cutting back um a lot of the time i think this is going to sound dumb, but it feels like they get the ball in the wrong order. Like Poro gets it and then plays it out wide to Kulisevsky and then Kulisevsky kind of has to pass it back. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. I think if it happened in the other, the other way around, there's more options kind of. Um, yeah, but it's, if, if, it, if it works, I think it works for the balance of the entire team because having those underlaps, I guess, even though we're we're inviting people to run, like to, to run in behind us on the wings, at least they're running out wide, if you get what I mean. And, and we've got pacey defenders who are getting back. So I think it it actually works for us in the long run. But um, yeah, man, it's just that question of, does making Kulu a little tiny bit less effective help the rest of the team? And if it does help the rest of the team, isn't that a good thing? I think that's, that's kind of where, where I was coming from in the group chat. Um, the whole Emerson and Poro thing, as like I don't know if we're touching <laughs> on this as well, but because I feel like um, Kulisevsky and Emerson played better together, but that's under a different system, isn't it? That's under the Conte system. I haven't seen it as much in this system. I've seen cameos of it, but I haven't seen it like consistently for like two to three games or against great opposition. And I think there is there's a question to be asked, like whether or not it would be good whether or not it would be better than what we're getting from Poro. But also, you, you have to you have to respect what Poro offers. You have to respect it, man, even if you don't get it every every segment of every game. Yeah. Um, I have an interesting little... It's not even like really a hot take, really, I don't think. But the partnership between Emerson and Kulizewski and Poro and Kulizewski is interesting to me in the sense that I think Poro just through naturally having more quality. Like, I think the strength of Emerson and Kulisevsky's partnership was Kulisevsky, he's decent 1v1, but he does love a little kind of pass and move type thing. And that's where he kind of creates the most space for himself because when he gets the ball for us, especially this season, he does tend to commit at least two opposition players to him. Um, so if he can offload that, and with, with Emerson, he would take up good positions and because he couldn't necessarily do anything with it, like we knew he wasn't a good crosser, not a good passer necessarily either in the final third, he would just find Kulizewski again on like a little mm-hmm. one-two. And by the time Emerson's received the ball, he's committed one or two opposition players and then Kulizewski can take up another pocket of space to receive the ball straight away again. And then he's in a favourable position to go again. Whereas... 
if Kulizewski is offloading it to Poro, he's going to get it back less often just by virtue of the fact Poro can do yeah. a lot more. Like yeah. he's Poro is obviously a better goal threat, great crosser, decent passer. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the tweak can be. Um, it is a good point as well. Like they are receiving the ball in the opposite sides um, probably a bit too often. And I think... Poro as well is probably overcompensating for the defensive side of his game. Well, that's been a bit of a mm. steep learning curve for him, and he's done well in that, to be fair, but he's kind of not um, necessarily developed that kind of partnership with Kulizewski yet, and that's not necessarily receiving um, good passes on the underlap just yet. Like I do think we should probably alternate our attacks, still obviously using the underlap, but trying to get Poro in those wider positions where Kulizewski can see try and do some damage inside and a, a little bit more pass and move instead of uh, some in, like Poro probably more individualistic than well, way more individualistic than than Royale as well um I think that makes sense but that's that's my theory on that partnership I, side of it I've got a super super hot take though but this okay. is this is for Luton yeah what about Kulisevsky as an eight, resting one of our normal eights? Poro, right wing, and Emerson as the inverted right back. I like it. Super hot. I do like that. <laughs> I, I, like, like I like that. it. I like it. It's the, people will be like, it's disrespectful because it's looting. I hear that. But at the same time, I don't care. So, yeah, <laughs> what you want. I feel like that probably gets more out of Richarlison as well, though. It's mm. possible. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. A lot for him at the back post, too. Hmm. I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't hate that. I think that would have to be drilled in training quite extensively before trying to implement it, especially even if it's like a favorable fixture like Luton, or we have a run of like favorable games now. Um, but no, I definitely don't hate that concept. Papa Blankson saying, I think the prob- the Cooley problem is more about the output. He creates chances, but no GNA. Yeah, he does. So he puts in the hard kilometers as well. But yeah, it's just, I think, again, that just that little extra bit of sharpness and conviction um, that we used to see end of 21 22 season and Conte. I'm just not necessarily seeing it now. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you have anything else to add to that one? No, um, I think the whole Emerson uh, Poro discussion has been discussed quite largely. We know Poro offers the more offensive threat. He has, from a defensive point of view this season, done pretty well. Um, there has been games where I've been like, you just got to do better um, and not invite mm-hmm. so much pressure on yourself. Uh, the same goes for Destiny as well, by the way. Um, but with Emerson, you just know he's good on the defensive side, but he lacks on the offensive side. So it's it's a lose-lose, really. You know, it's whatever works best in, in the scenario. Right now, in the scenario that we've printed um, as a club, Poro works best because we're a front-footed team um, that requires us to um, be able to retain and uh, consistently recycle our attacks, which, to be fair... Emerson probably wouldn't be able to do at the same level or high clip as Poro does. Whereas if we were a team probably more suited to kind of like a two and throw, like counter-attack, it would be Emerson all day because we would need to be assured at the at the back. Um, 
And in this case, you know, the way we're playing right now, I'm, I don't have a problem with either. I think it was the Sheffield United game, if I'm correct. And this is where I think our team's pretty unique. Um, that Emerson came on, Poro went straight to right, right wing. And I think Kudu shifted into like the central position. So it mm. is what Error said literally took place in the um, Sheffield United game. And what well, we all saw what happened in those last 12 minutes, limbs. <laughs> a term we've used quite a lot this season as well, thankfully. Um, but yeah, Era's uh, previous statement was actually the perfect segue going on to the Luton preview. So I'll now kind of drop it back to that. Um, yeah, favourable fixture away from home, midday kickoff. Uh, interesting ground, I'm sure. So Bias <laughs> has got a few things to say about their ground again. Um, but what are we thinking for it? Like, do we use any of our, our youngsters who have been performing so admirably this season, obviously just beating Chelsea, um, and just saying that Alfie Dorrington and Jamie Donnelly are particularly impressing. Um, Jamie Donnelly looks favoured to be playing in that James Madison role really well. Like, how do we kind of line up against them, considering there's knocks to Madison and Son as well? Um, for me, it, I, I definitely would like. I would like to see some changes. Um, it's not a hundred percent necessary. Obviously, there's going to be the international week, but um, yeah, man, going in, I think we've got a few internationals as well. A few that would probably play. Um, I was looking at Basuma earlier. I imagine that he would play as well. Um, it would be nice to rest him, but I don't know what that plan B is. I don't know exactly what it is. Should I say? Um, but it would be interesting to see a plan B. Um, and I'm open to it. Like, Anja's has shown me, like, well, across multiple matches now, that he's definitely thinking things through. Like, I don't think he's just a manager that's just making changes on a whim. Um, so, yeah, man, I think I think it would be really... I think it would really be good to see some changes, not necessarily changes in the tactics, but changes in the personnel. I don't know as much about Donnelly and... Um, what's the up? Dorrington? Dorrington, yeah. yeah. Dorrington, yeah. I don't know as much about them. You guys might have to keep me some game, man. Like, let me know what what what, what do they do? So I've heard a lot that Donnelly's sort of the, the the next closest thing to Madison. But what's what's Dorrington's game? Dorrington is a ball playing uh, centre back. Think um, think a right footed. You know, I'm saying it now because he's in our team, but hmm. I'm not saying that their play is similar. So I think we're right-footed Mickey van der Ven. Less pace. So he's quite quite front-footed. Same kind of build. You know, capable of, like, starting an attack. Not afraid to literally um, get stuck in. And to be fair with you, from the games that I've seen of him, he's shown he's got a little bit of a passing move in him. You know, you know similar kind of running style to um, Jan Vertonghen. I'm I'm not mad at it. I think um I'd be happy to see some new faces, man. Especially against I think there's there's no better time to try some new things. I think um the way we play anyway, we want to invite some pressure onto us. I think there's no doubt Luton will get a goal, um, probably from a set piece, I'd imagine. But um yeah, I think I think there's there's no problem with having some new faces in. It's more the specifics of who should play. That's that's where I get mm-hmm. a bit bit more confused. 
This is why I get scared for Spurs that like, whenever we change up the team too much, we mm. nearly always collapse. Uh, nearly always collapse. Um, I am encouraged with Hill coming back. Like that's a good kind of plan B <clears throat> if we're kind of struggling to break mm-hmm. them down. Uh, that's a big if because they could well just take the lead first. Um, I would like to see us make tweaks quicker in game if we do struggle to break them down as well. Um, Jamie Donnelly excites me, man. Like, see, especially Lacelso has been injured. I thought like last season, obviously he started to blow up as well, and I looked at him as like a Kane regen, obviously left-footed, but more of a Kane regen. And then obviously this season playing as a number eight in what Madison's role is now when he's still banging in goals and supplying uh soon sub bell and then guys Santiago is doing well as well. Um I can't imagine him getting in the squad ahead of Hill though. Um mm-hmm. I doubt we'd see Valise. Um even though you could argue that he probably would have tapped in the cross from Poro had Matip managed to yeah. miss it completely. Yeah he was right goal, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> Finish and a half. Um, and limbs. Um, I can't imagine, or I don't think I want us to make changes, wholesale changes to the starting lineup. I think, okay, it sounds like Sun's been managing the problem for a minute, but we should probably start him. Madison as well, probably Basuma, even though like the 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 international break for Basuma looks grueling as hell. But anyway, um, but. If we've got these men on the bench who are still needing minutes, like the Hoybiers, the Skips of this world, the Hills, the the Valises, um, by all means, like let's get them on and a bit earlier if we're struggling to break them down. And that's kind of what I, I want to see because I was quite worried about how we went about breaking down Liverpool while they had nine men. Mm-hmm. Just a, a bit of adaptability and not having to rely on 10 plus minutes of injury time to get the job done against Luton, like okay, I can accept it against Liverpool, but Luton are poor man. Um, <laughs> shall we round it up with some quick uh score predictions? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm giving them a goal or two. I think I feel like we're not scared to concede. Um, I think we play, we play. We play good, man. Um, I don't think we're scared to concede. I'll give them a goal, probably from a set piece. Um, I imagine they'll be able to create some chances on the counter just because of how aggressive we are and they've probably been training for it. So I would say we probably beat them like 3-4-1. Maybe they get a second goal. Yeah, I had 3-1. 3-1 was my scorer. I'm probably going to go with the more modest 2-1 just in case Son doesn't get past the 60-minute mark and we have to rely on a bit of a push-and-run cross-football. But if that gets the job done before an international break and all these injuries, I- I'm still very happy. Yeah, I'm not um, mad. I'm not mad, I'm mad. But no, that will uh, wrap up the show and the podcast. Um, again, just for the housekeeping... We've obviously got the Patreon now, uh, putting up mostly the ad-free versions of this podcast. Um, you'll find that at Newspers Order, the main Twitter account at Newspers Order, the Instagram and TikToks are still coming regularly as well. So, um, 
please follow those if you are interested in any of that content. But yeah, Scott Hall era. Um, I forgot your uh, NWO slash NSO. I can't lie. I, I kind of forgot myself. I can't lie to you. Sure, um, Michael's. I think no. Sure, sure, Michael. Sure, I, I, I think Arrow was was sure. Your heartbreak, kid. I'm sure we'll be able to double check in the group, but I'm I'm actually sure. I think it might be HBK. Damn! How did you manage to get HBK? I'm, I'm pretty yeah, He's a cheeky one. They think I'm sexy, man. He's a cheeky. He's a cheeky one. Too shame, but yeah. Uh, that'll be us for for this one and again uh catch us either thursday or friday evening for the streams and the audio comes out every saturday morning so yeah please make sure you listen before the game starts but for now come on you spurs and peace 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 Clips it. Oh, great goal! Stephen Bergwijn has arrived in North London! That is absolutely incredible on debut! Oh, yay! Sports Social Podcast Network.